The next stop is Knickerbocker Avenue. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's Fortune 500. Uh-huh. I burn his production. That's right. And we rubbing for the New York Knicks. Live from the garden, the Knicks game starting. The blue and the orange, the best five starting. Regardless if it's close or a large margin. We hungry for a win. The fan base starving. Bounding, astounded. Dishing and we swishing. We run the whole city. Ain't no competition. From Patrick to Willis. Frazier to Strickland. The next generation. We carry on tradition. Year after year. Season after season. Arena full of fans. Screaming out defense. Playoff intensity. Got our hearts beating. The sneakers keep squeaking. Hear the heart breathing. Switching through the net. Players take flight. Vibing with the vets. For coaches need a fight. Head them with attack. The players about to fight. It's all about respect. Ain't taking any slight. A piece of the apple. About to take a bite. About to take a ride. Up to new heights. This is our year. The future real bright. Shining real bright like the New York City lights. the Knickerbocker Avenue Fan Forum on the Bleed Blue Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Knickerbocker Avenue Fan Forum, the only forum for the fans, by the fans, for the fans, to the fans. I'm your main man, the infamous one, Knickerbocker Ave. I'm joined, as always, by my good boy, my, my homie, my brother, my Bleed Blue brother, Steve. How you doing? Steve Azul on Twitter, Instagram. And are you on threads yet? Yeah, when it comes to the sports shit, Ab, um, when you say uh, my brother, like sports brother, for sure, because uh, from a KGYR perspective, like, I'm going to say this before we get into some Knicks talk. This, all right, there's Knicks fans, and then there's a Knicks fan that's a KGYR Knicks fan, and that's kind of where I come from, the whole base mm-hmm. platform, and this is where me and you share the same exact DNA, we're born in the same year, so we have a lot of similarities, a lot of the same things with our team. So we kind of are probably the most Siamese fan brothers probably in the Bay. Between all the shows, um, you can talk about any stakeholder. Me and you are pretty much joined at the hit, literally. From birth, from our sports fan perspective, uh, and it's always an honor to come on to talk next with you week in and week out for these all, all these years. Man. So I just wanted to put that out there. So when you said that, I wanted to give more in depth on why we do it, how we do it, and then just continuing forward, man. And, and you know what? I, I I feel the same way, my brother. Because um, it, 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 it is a fraternity. It is a brotherhood. It is something that um, you and I take very seriously. We rep our squads everywhere we go. Because it's, it, cause you're absolutely right. There are Knicks fans and there are fellow Knicks fans. You know, you, you know we, have, we have a lot of brethren in the orange and blue. And, but... You and I share that, you know, that KGYR. And a lot of others do as well. You know, we grew well, up on the same era and, 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 and things like that. And, I mean, obviously, you take it to a new level. Even though I consider you a diehard, you don't. You consider yourself a loyal. But in my – and, and see, here's the thing. We can talk about that on another occasion because we have to, we have to redefine – we have to redefine the sports fan 
um, you know, the diehards, the loyals, the, you know, the, the, you know, the super crazies, and, 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 and then, of course, the social media and the fake fans. But you know what? I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. I want to know what we're talking about. Um, obviously, we got, we got some stuff to talk about our next. We got stuff to talk about the NBA. We got stuff to talk about sports in general. Let's get it popping. Oh, one thing, one thing. I gotta ask you. I should ask you behind the scenes, but fuck it, I'm gonna ask you on here for everybody on Google Podcast, Spotify. Let me ask you this, Ali. I shouldn't be asking you this shit on air, but I'm gonna ask you it anyway. For next week's episode, oh, not next week, in two weeks. We come back in in two weeks. I think we should mm-hmm. do. A, if, if I can find a way, do a we could break down the orange and the blue documentary that you and the Mad Hatter. Let's do that live on it. Let's talk about it. I'm, I'm, talk about I'd be, I'd be more than happy to. In fact, in fact, uh, I'll even up the ante. I will see the Mad Hatter and the director of the Orange and Blues documentary, Keith Roberts, if they're available and we can do something um, in two weeks. Or, 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 you know, you know, we'll try to hash it out schedule-wise because everybody has some, you know, some I, weird schedules. But um, I can, I can reach out to them as soon as we are done tonight. We're done recording. I'm gonna reach out to them, see what their availability is, and see if we can get if, if, if we can get something on here on the on the fan forum. I'm down for that. I will get with you off air because I want to make sure we have or I have the capability to ship to the stream. I think I should. So I have time and I'll let you know. We'll have some fun with that. Just a breakdown, uh, a commentary, your own commentary on your own document. I think that would be fun. Sure. A little different than, you know, you know, everyday niggas talking to me. They thought, why not? Like, let's have Dom come on and get his thoughts. I like, they have the takeovers. Maybe takeovers go on and get his thoughts. Conversation on the documentary. It's a great documentary on Amazon Prime, Prime Video. So yeah, man, let's, let's definitely do that. Let's do something a little different. Have some and and I, I, I don't want to fail to mention the winner of the Spirit of New York Award at the Harlem International Film Festival this uh, you know, um, this past I think was it two months ago. Um, yeah, we um, it, it, it did win an award. Um, it premiered at, 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 um, at Harlem International Film Festival. I, I, I took part in that. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was great to, you know, to see the other um, documentaries that were being presented, as well as um, getting to meet a, a, you know, a lot of great people. But, um, yeah, bro, let's do this. Um, Keith, John, if you guys are listening, you've been put on notice. I'm going to be hitting you up later on. But <laughs> I didn't use those. I didn't use those choice of words, Stephen. I didn't use those choice of words. <laughs> that comes from Nickelback ever. So he has power to say that this kind of shit like that. I ain't. That ain't come from I, me. I, I, put on notice. I do. I, <laughs> I, I, didn't say that I, see, I do have power. I do have the balls to say just about anything. And, 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 and that's that's the beautiful part about having the platform, about having uh, you know the, you know this weekly get this weekly or biweekly get together. Well, we get, you know, this is what, you know, is missing, in a, you know, a lot of barbershops and a lot of soups, <clears throat> a lot of corner, you know, it's, it's basically water cooler talk, but, you know, we're taking it to the, to a much different level. We're bringing it, bringing it a, a, a different level of intelligence and analysis 
that that are, you, you know that sometimes gets missed out because everybody just wants to do a hot take, and and and, and, and that's all fine and dandy. I mean, it's great. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're fucking hilarious. Sometimes they're just stupid as hell. But we got some things to talk about. Where do you want to start with our squad? Because <laughs> some things have yeah, happened. I got enough. I I, I I definitely got enough by myself just to cover the first forty-five. We might have to go into the first fifty for the make. Listen, man, I saw. The tweet from Fred Cat on Twitter, right, on the Knicks and the Leon Rose, the lack of public press conferences from the Knicks side. This is an ongoing issue for years. Right? You know, I mean, this is probably pretty much pretty much an uh, orange and the blues carryover on the, one of the issues a lot of Knicks fans have with the Bays have. And I saw that tweet. Now they are pushing back the you know the signing of Dante DiVincenzo to a training camp. You know, the announcement or the, the verbiage, uh, the announcement. And, you know, Ab, I'm kind of neutral on it in the sense of, you know, I feel for the fans because I think the fans want transparency from this, org- this organization and they don't never get that. They never get it from James Dolan. They don't get it from the upper management, Leon Rose, or World Wide West, right? It, like, it's very rare when they come out publicly to talk about this. So, you know, right. what are your thoughts on that? You know, what are you, let's start there. What are your thoughts on that? Because it is an ongoing, I, you were calling this with most fans. I don't necessarily, I personally am not bothered by it, but I think it's a point of discussion because I do think there's other things that I to this that does bother me, and I, I'll get to those points. So let's start there. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I saw the tweet from Fred Cat today on pushing back, you know, lack of, Public uh, press conference on our, our free own free agent side, uh, free agent signing. Well, let's. Uh, I, I mean, let's just start it from the top here. This front office, for the last few years, almost two decades, has either been too openly transparent or not transparent enough. You 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 get basically the two polar opposites on any given night. Some nights, you know, some years, depending on who's in charge, you know, you'll get a lot of information from your front office, and they'll they'll be flat out and honest with you. And then there are other ones where you're still scratching your head, no matter how much information they give you. And then, of course, you know, under the Steve Mills regime, it was a lot of lip service. And now with Leon Rose, you're getting almost nothing, next to nothing. And and I know that. Um, you know, he doesn't like to do interviews. He doesn't like to do, any, you know, a, a lot of press. You know, he, he's pretty – you don't see him at the Garden that often. Um, but to some degree, I like the fact that, you know, that a lot of things are not being spilled out into the media the way that it used to be back in the day. Because back in the day, the Knicks were used as a clicks driver – you know, on any single tweet, whenever a whenever a star of of any kind of name or caliber was being used, it's mixed for clicks. So, you, you know, it, it's an actual saying that it's used a lot on Twitter and a lot of social media. So the fact that you're not hearing a lot of things, like so far, they, even, they still haven't even announced their new general manager, even though I'm pretty sure it's Gerson Rojas, the former um, special advisor um, 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 that used to um, be there over at, um, in Minnesota. But, and he's pretty much the, you know, the guy that was driving the negotiations when we were in the, in the running for Donovan Mitchell last season. 
So I'm pretty sure he's going to be named the general manager at some point or other. Now, the fact that they haven't announced officially the signing of Dante DiVincenzo, I believe it has to do with salary cap um, implications. So that way certain, you know, certain um, incentives and certain um, rules and, and guidelines under the new CBA, which takes in effect, I believe, if not now, in, you know, come November, they can, you know, then implement, you know, and structure his contract so that way he gets his full guarantee, but they still maintain some kind of salary, um, uh, you know, flexibility because it's almost like since, since you know, since the first name to drop in terms of who requested a trade, James Harden, when he requested his trade and then Damian Lillard followed suit, you start to realize that those are the two notable ones but there are a number of other ones, and they're just waiting to – and it looks like our front office is waiting to see which domino is going to fall right after the other one because, obviously, in Philadelphia, everyone's keeping an eye on that situation because if James Harden does get traded wherever he, he, he gets traded to, there's a, a strong belief that Joel Embiid will not be too far behind. And, of course, that would be the big domino that a lot of Knicks fans would really, you know, go for. Um if Damian Lillard does get traded but is not able to get traded to the Miami, which I still believe, I don't see him going to Miami at all. I just don't see it happening. Because, and we can explain that on the second half of the show, but the reality is, is that I think that, that this, this Knicks management regime is, is failing to, well, not failing, is withholding certain announcements and certain information so, therefore, they can maintain whatever cap flexibility that they currently have now in hopes of okay. something bigger come training camp. All right. We'll get to that Harden and Little stuff later on. But let me ask you, sure. from a Knicks perspective, as far as transparency to the uh, press or the fans, um, I, I think I wrote it down just now. You said you're okay with the lack of some of, some of the lack of transparency. Did I hear that correct? That's correct. All right, and I'm with you on that. I'm not. I, I, it doesn't bother me. All right, you know what I'm saying. But if there was some sort of transparency, you would like to hear from them. What specifics would that? I'll give you mine after you. You know, if you have any, you can give yours, and then we can, you know, feed off each other on that. Absolutely. Let's see. Back a couple of years ago, when I went to the the, the, the town hall meeting with um, Steve Mills, David Fisdale. Um, and you know, and and their and, and the whole front office. When I saw them, and they gave me all that lip service, that was like they were trying to be transparent by saying very little, but trying to say too much, or vice versa. But like you know, they, they they said a lot of words, but they didn't really say anything because they because obviously the league um has certain rules that you you know you can't outright say. Oh, we're going to go for such and such player. We're going to do this and that. Or we're going to specifically tank the season. Obviously, they can't do that. However, sometimes no news is good news, and you know a lot of people have to kind of take that as you know as a very you know as, as a sigh of relief because before when you used to get here about certain players, about certain players possibly coming to the Knicks. It would it would turn certain fans against the team, the current team, you know, currently on the floor. And, and I mean, 
I'm always been, you know, you know, so you know, the name on the front and the name on the back. But sometimes it's a little bit hard when you start hearing the fans at games demanding for certain players, you know, to be brought here, and they're not, they're not free agents. They're not under, you know, they're not on the trade market after the trade deadline or things of that sort. So, to some degree, I would like a little transparency, but. I can understand why a lot of it is not being, you know, given out because you also don't want to give out too much of, you know, of, of your bag of tricks and, and, and give false hope where it doesn't need to be, especially in a town like New York City where one blurb, you know, one soundbite becomes a headline in, in, at an instant. Yeah, on that front, I definitely agree with why you're saying what you're saying. I get that. You're absolutely, you know what, you're absolutely correct in, in, in the big picture. So I don't want to grasp that straw. So I do want to give my little, uh, I guess the things I do have issues with, and you've heard me say this over and over on several episodes in the past, but you're, but the, in the big picture, you are absolutely correct. And this is the reason why I do agree with you as far as not enough transparency is not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily bother me. There's certain questions I have within the organization. It has nothing to do with necessarily of signings, free agents, things of that nature. And I do agree with you when you said no news is good news. That's definitely the old adage. That's actually true. So I definitely agree with that. But my, my issue kind of comes with the Knicks to ask the front office. You know, you, you've heard me say this many a times, even the last three episodes we've done this. Like, what are you doing with your development? Like, that, if there was ever the number one question I'd ask on this show, and I wanted to ask the Knicks, the organization is the development of everything, like players, you know, measuring data, your analytics. Why are you doing things a certain way? Why are certain players seem not to be progressing when we're watching this shit on court? And it goes to the point where you just said about two minutes ago about fans demanding, demanding uh, other players from other teams. Because when they're watching the game on the court during the regular season in ABC games, they're upset at some of the things that we're watching in the game that's not transpired or progressed uh, game to game, week to week. You know, we, we talk about, for instance, you know, we talk about Mitchell Robinson all the time. Where the hell is the lack of offense? Or where is the development of the offense? Why R.J. Barrett still mostly goes left unless he goes right with the Eurostep? Where is the development of the mid-range game? Like, we don't see the development at the free throw line with R.J. Barrett. Or Quentin Grimes, you know, we've seen him in the last couple of years. Where's the where's the answers with him development wise going into the next year or even Emmanuel quickly? So those would be my number one questions for Nick's manager is like what because to me they don't seem like to be at the top of the hell at the you know in the, within the league as far as getting the maximum out of their own players. It seems like the Knicks honestly have this current roster relies on not in homegrown guys. I just, you know, just remember we were talking about this at the start of the episode, why, you know, we are hazy, why our brothers join at the hip, DNA, sports DNA, right? Because we've seen, like, a guy like Derek Jeter, you know, take it to another team on the KGIR perspective. We've seen homegrown players develop right before our eyes become Hall of Famers through our lives. I don't see that with the Knicks, if that makes sense. That's kind of like it where makes, I kind of have it, the lack of transportation. See, the problem with that is that unlike the Knicks, you just brought them up, 
the New York Yankees, you know, for whatever anyone would like to say, whether you love them, you hate them, you, you can't stand them, whatever the case may be, you, can, you have to understand that the New York Yankees have a front office that is sound, that's, that is successful, and has made transactions to, to actually better, you know, um, you know, to better the success rate of their own team, and they're trying to put a, you know, put a, winning, a, well, a winning team constantly. Uh, right now, I know. Right now. I know that's the Yankees. I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta say something real quick about that. We would say that that is accurate in the 90s and the 2000s, but since 2009, I know this is probably more for the baseball side of things, we're not quite seeing that right now, my guy. You know, we're not quite seeing that. So I, gotta have to, I kind of have to put that to the side, you know, put that on the table. For the Yankees, let's get back to the day. <laughs> I gotta completely understand. That, I'm not but, <laughs> but, 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 but then here's the, here's the flip side. You look at the New York Giants, and, you know, you can say what you want about the general manager over the years when, you know, when Gettleman was there and, and, and so on and so forth, and, you know, during the Tom Coughlin years and stuff like that, and at least you can say they kind of knew what buttons to push because they had a sound front office. And it was seasoned, and it was successful, and it actually won and produced two Super Bowls in 42 and, 47, and 46. So there's, there's but yeah, that. But, 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 uh, but that was like, but, uh, that was 10 years ago. I mean, that's, that's, that's the same point I was just making about the Yankees. They ain't went since, like, what, 09. Giants haven't won since 2011, bro. <laughs> like, com- been, completely like, understand. Like, it's a decade, bro. Completely. Come completely understand, but look at their, those front offices and compare them to the to, to the, the, the gaggle fuck that's been the New York Knicks front office. I mean, the Knicks you know never I'm not, never did it. I'm not gonna knock that. You're right. I mean, the Knicks have been. I mean, let, let's give. Dom says it all the time when he comes on. They haven't really. What's the what's the, what's the term? The verbiage he says. He says they haven't really screwed us. We kind of. Yes, yeah. this current regime of the front office has kind of held their own. We haven't been shafted. We haven't been, uh, you know, pretty much fucked. You know, so you kind of have a point when it comes. To, the Giants haven't been ultra like you know, they haven't been ultra perfect because ever since those Super Bowls, they've had some downfalls. Outside of 2016, they've had some downfalls, especially right. you know, downfall of Eli. But to your point, you are absolutely correct. The Knicks during that time would be exponentially worse. So I, I'll give you that. You're absolutely correct. So I, I you make the best. You made a, a great point overall. I give you that. So and then you take that same the, the, the same energy of both the Yankees and the Giants. Both of them have won titles at least in this millennia. Okay. And then you look at the New York Rangers, who shares Madison Square Garden, has the same owner. But because James Dolan has absolutely nothing, no hands in the hockey portion, because hockey is a much different animal, and it, 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 it does take somebody who's who's, who's well versed in that niche. He, he's, you know, the the Rangers have been more or less been a lot more competitive, especially in comparison to the Knicks, because you're talking about the Knicks going to the playoffs two, you know, two out of the last three years, but two out of the last what, twenty. Fifteen years. I mean, as, in comparison to the Rangers, you know their success rate is a little bit better, 
but you also see that they're, you know, they're always making some kind of moves to, you know, to either prepare for this season competing, or they would at least make some moves in preparation for the following season or towards the future. The Knicks have done neither one. You are absolutely correct. You know what? And I'm going to give you props on that excellent point because on the Ranger side of things, they don't necessarily do the press conference thing either. They just let their actions make their, you know, do all the talking for them. And you are absolutely correct. You can go back to Vladimir Tereschenko trade. You can go to Kane trade on the Ranger side. The Rangers the last two seasons have shown before the end of the trade deadline that they are going for it. And on the next side, you're absolutely you're right. I mean, I, there's no pushback for me, bro, because the actions do speak. I do think it's a little bit different with the NBA in the sense, but you're overall again great point. I, I have no pushback. You're absolutely correct. And, and, and to, to add to that. And this is something that ha- that doesn't get mentioned anymore, but it was a very big thing um, about, I would say about eight, nine, maybe ten years ago. Madison Square Garden still enforces their media policy in which they don't talk, you, you know, the front office personnel are not allowed to, to, to leak things out to the media, even though it, it, a lot of times they did. That's because Steve Mills knew where the skeletons were. But now that he's not there, there's a lot of information that's not being leaked out to the front off, you know, out to the media as it used to be. So while, you know, while a lot of Knicks fans and a lot of New Yorkers, you know, who, who are just following the team are, are viewing this and they're, and they're hoping to hear some information and they're not getting dick, the, the reality is, is that James Dolan, for good, bad, or indifferent, or whoever is just in the area underneath them, are strictly enforcing the, their media policy about giving out information about the inner, the inner goings of their organization. It's a public relations thing. It's something about, you know, them being a publicly traded company. Um, it, it's, it, it's throughout the entire conglomerate. That's why you don't hear information unless promotional stuff about season tickets, things that are going on at the garden, things that are going on over at the Las Vegas Sphere or on the occasional event at the, over at the Inglewood Forum. That's about it. Listen, you're absolutely correct. Again, you're on it tonight, man. <laughs> you're on it tonight, man. Listen, um, I think all this ties in, and I think personally, like, like, like I said, I have an issue with the plan verbally, publicly was developed. And, you know, if, if there if ever was an issue, my number one issue with this franchise is that, and I can't get that with action. I only could get that with what I see the product on the court in the subsequent uh, season. And we could see, oh, damn, this didn't develop a jumper. We could see all these YouTube highlights or Instagram highlights of, Mitchell doing this and that in the YMCA or in the Boys and Girls League or whatever, or in the, the public school of New York, you know what I'm saying, just shooting around. But when it comes to the pro game, he ain't doing all that. Or RJ Barrett down in Florida, all these highlights and doing all this stuff. But it doesn't translate into regular season actions on the court. And, that, and, the, and then when you look at it in the bubble of all the guys that we drafted, right, Quinn Grimes, Daniel Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, because everything's been led. If you really be honest, 
it's been guys we brought in from the outside, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. Um, I haven't seen anything where – when's the last time we've seen a, a, a Knicks home-ingrown player took charge? Uh, has, what, Ewing? <laughs> Has it been that long? Am I missing somebody? It's been a minute. Mello was from the Nuggets. Mello was from the Nuggets, right? Uh, Stoudemire was from uh, Phoenix, right? Marbury, even though it's Brooklyn, uh, you know, in the Coney Island, he, he was from the Timberwolves and the Phoenix Suns. Like, I can't think of a Nick homegrown Nick that's really, like, taking charge. Of, what, Ewing? Is, is, is that the that one? Um, you and unless you want to call Mark Jackson, I mean, the reality is, no, is no, that no, 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 I'm talking about franchise, franchise level. Oh, like, Mark Jackson okay, yeah, he was a compliment. Um, so I don't know, was, he's not like Ewing was, I don't know, was, you know, was David no, Lee one, right? Was no, David, hell no, David, David Lee's not a David Lee's not like game changing franchise player, he was like a nice all star here. But I'm talking about. I, I can't think of them. Like, cause look at well, Allen Houston was a um, was a transplant. Uh, Latrell Sprewell was a transplant. Everybody's been free agents. Like Jalen Brunson, Carmelo. I can't. I, I can't. I can't Canby, Marcus Canby. Like none of them. I haven't seen anybody homegrown like really take it to the next level. Maybe since Ewing. That's a long time, bro. That's an issue. That's a development issue. It's more than a development issue. It's a front office um, uh, selection issue. Because, again, if, if we're going that far back, 1985, the last time we drafted a cornerstone franchise athlete, you know, to be the face of the franchise and everything like that, that just goes to show you that who's ever making the decisions at some point um, is, to, is to be held responsible. And unfortunately, you can't pinpoint one person unless you go all the way to the top. And that's and even Dolan's not even to to, to be blamed. I mean, maybe he's maybe the Dolan family, but for the most part, you know, we've had different presidents of, of basketball operations, different general managers, a number of head coaches since 1985. Um, We've had, like you said, a crap load of players come in and out of the, of the organization, not necessarily, you know, start in the organization and, and, and become a franchise cornerstone. But that's just because the New York Knicks, when they were – they just haven't had that luck in the lottery, and they haven't had, you know, the right people, the right basketball people to choose and select players and to do the bad scouting. And this is what's crazy to me is that for years, for many years, I mean, you, we're talking about a lot of advanced scouting. Go ahead. No, no, you said choose and select players, but what about the development piece? I've been harping on for months, weeks, months. Like, okay, I understand choosing and development. Even if you drafted a guy, how come you cannot develop him? It's the reason why Obi Toppin's out of town now. He was a top ten pick. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can he... I'm not saying he had to be Patrick Ewing, but he could have been at least, you know what I'm saying, maybe a two-time All-Star. Is that not enough to ask for a guy who's a top 10 pick? Like, how do you not develop a guy like that coming out of Dayton? You have, like, you picked him. And he didn't transpire to be the guy. 
I think a lot of Knicks fans, and this next topic, you're going to love this topic. I got we'll get to that. I don't want to uh, surprise you. It's the point. Overall, in this first 45, 50 minutes of this episode on the Knicks, like, how do you not develop a, a Obi Thompson to a point where he can at least be a one or two? Like, a David Lee. So you, you, that's a good example. They, like, like, a David Lee level. There's nothing wrong with that, right? The problem, again, is... Just to, it, it, it's also virtue of circumstances, right? Keep in mind that when we drafted Obi Toppin, Julius Randle's contract situation was a somewhat in limbo. So they were, so they had every intention of drafting Obi Toppin to becoming perhaps one day the starting power forward here, and, to, and for him to become, you know, maybe maybe not the franchise player but at least a cornerstone of the foundation. But then, you know, obviously they went into the offseason, they re-signed Julius, to, you know, to that big $110 million contract, and now Obi had a chance to develop underneath him. Unfortunately, the front office, the coaching, and then the player development, all of that stuff, when it's supposed to be in unison, is operating under three or four different tilts everyone's pretty much running their own program. And it's, this is where you have a lot of dysfunction. And since the Knicks have, have, have had a reputation of being one of the most dysfunctional franchises, if not in all the NBA, if not all of all sports, this is why you have what you get. And, and this carries over to what I'm going to bring up next. And this all ties into the topic. Right. Um, so I saw the clip. <laughs> this is funny. Draymond Green, I know you saw it. His comments about Knicks fans being the most delusional. Now, could we, okay, well, I would like to ask Draymond Green, what did he exactly mean by delusional, right? Because to be honest with you, Ed, I think there is some truth in this. Because you're on Knicks Twitter. We see it. You hear Dom rant about it all the time. We've seen various Knicks podcasters talk about it all the time. I mean, we see we see this stuff. But this kind of like goes back to what we were talking about for the first 20, 25 minutes, right, Al? Where is the front office giving some sort of transparency to the media and especially the fans on the plan? Now, I understand why you're saying what you're saying, because it's almost a double-edged sword, because in New York with media, you don't want to take things out of context and don't blow it up. So you don't want to play with that kind of fire. But why but the, the the downfall to that is um Knicks fan there are is a, there is a segment of let's be honest. There are a segment of Knicks fans that kind of fall in that delusional category. But I would like to know what exactly is meant by delusional by Draymond Green. Not I, I did you see that clip, the video clip uh, about Draymond Green about and your thoughts about that in general and how it ties to the next organization lack of transportation uh, trans, uh, transparency to the, to the media and the, and the sports fans so the sports fans don't have to be on social media just speculating on bullshit I know exactly what you're talking about and yes I did um, uh, see what Draymond Green said and you know it's the same sentiment that's being shared by a lot of other players and a lot of a lot of personalities um, all around the league and all around sports in general. Knicks fans do have a tendency to become delusional. Um, 
what does that necessarily mean? It means that we start to kind of almost believe our own hype in terms of, you know, the value of playing in New York, the fact that we have Madison Square Garden. We feel that, we should, that we're kind of entitled or due. And in a lot of ways, we are. And that's kind of what, the, you know, the documentary kind of, you know, kind of touched on a little bit. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. The reality is, is that Knicks fans are, are delusional because at some point they believe that because it's New York, the number one media capital in the world, the, number, the, 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 the nation's largest city, the center of the known universe in terms of publicity, in, in, in terms of um, fashion, in terms of sports, whatever the case may be, the fans start to believe their own hype and, and, and the delusion that anyone and everyone wants to be part of that is the delusion. We have to start really thinking about it when, it, when, you, when, you, uh, when you're a Knicks fan that even though we have the number one market, and yes, we do currently have the richest NBA franchise in the world at the moment, we still have to think about, still think about ourselves almost like a small market team. Because look at, look at the track record. Stars don't like coming here for some reason. Whether it's the media, whether it's the state taxes, whether it's the, the, the traffic between, you know, Terrytown and, and Manhattan well, or, you know, and stuff like that. There's a number of different reasons why New York is, is always kind of being bypassed in that sense. Yeah, we, we talked ahead. about that many a times. It's, 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 it's to the point you said, facility in Westchester, a lot of traffic. What, New York is a cold-weather city in the 21st century. May have been okay in the 20th century in the 70s. But when you have played in the AAU circuit, which pretty much damn near NBA, every NBA player has, and that's actually going to be even more exponentially different now with all these D-Unite players and players coming from overseas and France. That is not going to matter where social media is pretty much the dominant media content. Where, where back in the day, Ab, you already know, everything was led by newspapers. That's why New York was the media capital of the world, where now it's flipped. Everything's driven by social media. Everything's driven by podcasts. Everything's driven by the everyday fan. Even the players have their own podcast. So it's different now. Um, so they know there's a lot of information out there where you don't necessarily have to be in New York to be, become someone like you had to be in 1970. It's totally different. So, and like you said, the taxes, if they change that, maybe you, you might see a little bit more players coming here. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? But most players, they can exactly what you're saying. By their asking, but they're going to go where they can get the most for their bread. It's that simple. That you see, that's that's the um, that's the God's honest truth, and I can't I can't contest that. Um, the reality is is that you know we do live in a different age, where you don't have to be in New York to or, or Los Angeles or Chicago or Miami. You can just pretty much be anywhere in the world, and you can become this, the next viral superstar. Shit, you know, and you don't necessarily need a lot of talent. The fact is, is that NBA players have a lot of talent. You know, they do have people, you know, you know, publishing and and, and 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 boosting up their media presence all over all over the world. So you know about these players before they even hit college, before they even are even talk talking to an NBA team for the very first time, which is kind of exciting and scary at the same time. But 
that's just the you, you know the nature of the beast of, of where we where we are as a society today. Now, how does New York counter that? Well, it starts with management, and so far the our management team is doing okay. They're not doing something exponentially great, and and of course the transparency kind of you know, does hinder it a little bit. But the fact is, is that they need to kind of, it's like they need that big move, and I know they're trying to get that, and because I know they're, you know, they're they're patiently waiting for Philadelphia to you know to put Embiid on the market or or something to that or anybody else for that matter. But the fact is, is that you don't necessarily need New York, and you don't need Madison Square Garden to be you know to be a legend in this league. You come to Madison Square Garden any, at least once or twice a year, anyway. So there goes your your garden moment. Um, we have to make and 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 and, and, and that's is, a good point because like, that garden moment. Remember, we talked about that months ago, right? Mister Live brought it up back in the two thousand. A lot of these players were coming in and dropping fifty buckets, fifty points when the next very below average uh, team. Like, all you need is that one Madison Square Garden moment out of 82 games, especially if you're a team from the West Coast. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Like, you don't have to play Madison Square Garden 41 times a year like if you're a mixed player. You could be anywhere. As long as you – if you you could be a guy averaging 19, 20 a night, come to the Garden, you might drop 40, 45, and have that – your own personal Madison Square Garden moment. And, then you, and that might be fine with most players. See, that's – that's the problem, and th- that's where the delusion kind of kicks in, because the delusion kick kind of starts in is when, you know, on any given night the Knicks are hosting whatever team, and a guy who's you know who's probably got a little bit of a following has his garden moment, and you hear him say things like, "I love playing at Madison Square Garden. I love being here in New York." Delusional Knicks fans immediately take that as he wants to be a Nick. And that could be the furthest thing from the truth. Michael Jordan loved playing at Madison Square Garden. We know that for a fact because look how many great moments he's had there. But never once did he actually join the Knicks to play at Madison Square Garden on a regular basis. I know that there was talk in 96 or 97 that he might have, but you know, the, the Jerry's matches off or whatever the case may be. But the reality well, nah, he, is, yeah, he was never. Leaving. But the re- he was never. There was there was some talk about that because remember back in that well, time well, the Jerry's were, were getting problems. See, see, but but that's the point, right? Back in the nineties, there was no social media app. Everything was driven by the newspapers. The newspapers put out some bullshit, you know. Depending on what kind of common sense of a person you are individually. There's a lot of fans back, even back then, will buy the bullshit. I mean, there's a lot of bullshit out there, whether it's traditional media or social. This is the reason why I don't, I don't even like hearing rumors, even on this platform. I know you kind of like to, you know, play with it, and Don likes to play with it because he's speaking on Twitter, or you know, so even the Giant fans would come on the Giant shows and talk about rumors, and I'd be like, yo, cut that noise, man. Let that actually happen. Let's not talk about it because a lot of that shit is bullshit. That, that's just being honest. Um, back in the but unfortunately, Jordan was loud. I mean, I just wanted to put that out there because but there's just too much rubbish with the Knicks 
and then the, but what makes Knicks fans delusional, and I'm going to tell you what, here's the, here's the point we haven't said yet. Even if the Knicks might be the number one franchise value team or franchise in the sport, but they're all also, in my opinion, still to this day, number one basketball, I'm talking about playground basketball, in the, in the country, if not the world. Uh, New York is king when it comes to that. That is something I would say they don't have the range when it used to be. I think baseball used to be like that back in the 50s and 60s in New York. I don't think that's been the case with hockey and definitely not football. But definitely when it comes to basketball, as I would say New York was the number one basketball city, playground basketball city in the world. And a lot of black and brown, uh, you know, citizens, they, they take pride in the basketball, ass. That's just the way it is. And New York is number one in the country to this day is that. And they carry that over into the pro sports team, and it doesn't quite translate. So a lot of pro basketball, a lot of the basketball, free, no, free basketball, playground basketball, that energy carries over. It doesn't quite translate to, you know, the, and I think that adds to the, it adds, what are your thoughts on that? Well, if you, if, you, if you remember how things were, for a long time, from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, in like the early part of the 90s, how were things settled back in the day? You either you either fought the fair one or you run one-on-one on the court. And that's how things were settled. You couldn't do that too much in baseball, but, at, but back in back at the time, especially during the, you know, during the Yankees dynasty years, you know, it was very easy to get wrapped up in that, 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 that atmosphere. Now, in, now with the social media age, you know, what is the big thing around? It's, it could be any number of things. It could be MMA. It could be baseball. It could be football. It could be the AAU, as you, as you were just alluding to. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of new ways to, you know, for, you know, for athletes and for artists to kind of express their, you know, their, their beliefs or their, or their theories or their philosophies on life that it's just different. And I'm not saying it's better. It's definitely unique, but it's just different. Um, you know, people talk it out more. So there isn't that, that, that need to settle a dispute like they used to be because, like I said, when I was growing up, there was only two ways to settle a dispute. You either shot the fair one or you went one-on-one um, on the court and you, t- you talked your shit that way. There was no other way. Yep. And yeah, you're, right, you're, yeah, that's yep, the, you're right about that. Yep. So now that those kinds of things don't happen anymore because we live in a new technological, social conscious and, and, and awareness kind of way, and, you know, we've gone away from, you know, from, from being violent and stuff like that, it's kind of, you, you know, a, a, there's just more avenues to, you know, to, to no pun intended. There's just more avenues to you know to explore, and you can you know get that re- you know that, that that satisfaction and, and that release that sports used to provide. Um, you can do that now with art. You can do that now with public speaking. Um, people like to blog. People like to do podcasts. People like to do all kinds of things. So um, unfortunately, that's just kind of how the nature of of, of today's beast and. You can say what you want with it, whether you like it or you dislike it, but this is how it is. Right, I agree. I agree with that. Now, let me uh, to tie in back to what we were talking about with Draymond Green. Uh, be, uh, Nick fans being the most delusional. I mean, it goes back to the uh, the double-edged sword theory 
It makes not the organization not being transparent with fans. So the fans are going to speculate to the point they're making outrageous fantasy type of trades. So it, I, that's all tied into together. So that when the next fans are not getting that transparency from the organization on an actual plan, and we know the reasons based off what you said or listed, they're going to be on, especially the younger fans who you know use social media a lot. They're going to say outrageous things, outrageous rumors, outrageous trade proposals. That's never going to happen. Like I said, in the, in North, I'll say the world. I was going to say in the country, but I'm going to say the world. Basketball is the number one sport in New York City, in the world. Far enough. I can't think of any city. It'll have to be another city in, in the U.S., and I can't see any other U.S. city that has basketball as its number one. So let me trans, let me carry forward to what we were talking about with the OB Thompson and the uh, Julius Randle, our last topic on the next so the last time we talked, right, we, we talked about OB Toppin getting traded for the draft pick in Indiana, right? So my question is, what is your prototype power forward to back up Julius Randle in the next upcoming season? Um, he would be about six foot nine, six foot ten, um, is somewhat athletic, can't hit the three, um, and is you know, is you know, and he can rebound. I mean, you're figuring that um, Julius Randle is even even with the ankle injury, you, you, you're guessing that he's going to be at 100. percent So by the time that you know we're in the season, you and he's going to be playing 35 to 40 minutes, give or, if, given any night. So you would want somebody who can fill in that slot, you know, those extra 50, 10 to 15 minutes to do some of the, the dirty work that you're missing out on with, with Mitchell Robinson, somebody who can't score. Um, remember, um, Julius is a, tw- is a 23, 10, and 5 kind of guy. So you want somebody who can produce on, on those three levels and play defense. Is there somebody out there? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I keep on checking the free agent boards right now to see if, or if there's a trade available. Um, I'm sure that there uh, is, and especially with the Evan Fournier thing, you can do that. But I don't know. If, I, I, I can't give you a definitive name right now. Okay, okay, cool on the definitive name. You said, okay, I wrote it down. You said 6'9", six, 6'10", six, can hit the three. Now, at what rate are you talking about hitting the three? Are you talking 30%? Are you talking about league average at 35%? What are you, who, what's the rate at this, your your prototype? We're going to call it prototype. 6'9", six, 6'10", six, power forward, back up. So hit the three I would say, at what rate? What's, I, I, I would say, I, 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 I'd be happy with 30, but I would prefer 35. Um, and you, you know, somebody who can definitely stretch the floor. And um, and so that way, when you take Randall out of the game and you're not having – and you're probably arresting Brunson at the same time, you still have enough offense and defense to kind of sustain you for those 10 to 15 minutes that those guys are out. Because um, you know that Thibodeau plays a specific style. He likes to, you know, run his guys to the ground more or less. And – you, you know he's basically trying to win every single game, which is don't knock him. I know a lot of a lot of people want to knock him because of, because of his philosophy, but the reality is is that he's in every single game. He's trying to win them all, and he's trying by hook or by crook. Unfortunately, you know it doesn't always turn out that way because sometimes just pure talent ends up winning at the end. But to answer the question, um, 
you know, somebody who's, you know, six foot nine um, is athletic, can rebound the ball, can shoot the three, and can play some defense, I'd be okay. Um, if he can pass, great. If he can't, um, you know, we're not, we're not expecting too much from him because you, you have to remember who's on that second unit. You, you still have uh, Emmanuel quickly coming off. You still have a Miles McBride there. You still have, um, you, you know, um, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein who can, you, you know, who can still stretch the floor to somewhat, to some degree. So somebody who can stretch, you know, who, who can be a stretch for and, you know, can rebound the ball. That's all I'm really asking for, you know. And the thing was is that Obi Toppin was kind of doing that. But for some reason, and people can blame Thibodeau all they want, but, you know, Obi veered away from that. And whether he, whether he was told to sit, at the, to sit in the corner or he decided to do so because, you know, for whatever reason, well, if he showed you, if he put like this, if he showed in practice and during games that he can do more than just sit in the corner and, and, and take a spot of three and chuck in threes at, 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 at a rate, then you would have seen that. But obviously, there was something there that just didn't make that, that, that didn't correlate with what well, the, the, the scheme that Tibbet was working. That's why he got traded. Well, well, well I, I, you know what? I don't know about all that. Because that's just where we've been talking about all episodes. We needed to have answers from the Knicks organization on why he got traded. I think that's more speculation than anything. I mean, unless you can confirm that that the Knicks organization traded him because of that, I can't really, I can't buy that until I actually hear it coming out of their mouth or their spokesperson. But I'll say this about Obi Thompson, and I think this is where the issue has with more of the older fans, because you see the skill set, you see the athleticism. He shouldn't be limited to just chucking up threes in the corner. And that's what bothers me as an, as an older millennial, Nick, that he had more, to me, he had more of an upside than just doing that. And right. and, that, and it goes back to what I've been saying for months, like the development. It, it goes back to that. Everything goes back to this. It's crazy how everything goes back to the development that I've been harping on. To get answers from the organization. It give us, well, okay, Obi Thompson, why you didn't want to develop him, why you ship him out of town for some draft, second-round draft picks. So that's my issue with the Knicks and Obi Toppin. But to answer your question or answer my own question about prototypes, you know what, As I would – okay, I, everything you said is kind of like what I would like. I would pretty much want somebody a Todd Gibson-like but maybe four to five years younger. Todd is about 38-ish, right? He was, Younger, he's a few years younger than us, right? A guy right. like that, he has, he doesn't need to be overly athletic, but a guy who's been around the league, makes plays, a smart player, is capable of making okay, thirty percent. I'll sign up for that. Dude, I don't care about my, I necessarily don't care for my power forward knocking down a whole bunch of threes. I, we're, we're old school fans, man. I don't care about that. I, I care about making the right basketball play more than anything than just taking the open shot and the uh, motion off. A Todd right. Gibson like play. I don't know if Todd Gibson would be on the table to make a trade back with the Wizards, but a player of that ilk, of that savvy, of somebody that smart, a veteran, uh, just a, you know, you know, a veteran, pretty much a veteran leadership like a Derrick Rose coming off the bench. A Todd Gibson like play. I'm not saying Todd Gibson per se, but somebody like that. Maybe a few years younger 
younger. I don't know who that is. I don't know who the free agent list is. I apologize for, you know, you know, not having a particular name. I'm just giving you the prototype of what I would like to back up Julius Randle. And he's the reason why he's out of the town anyway, Todd Gibson, because they thought they had something in Obi Top. I would have rather kept Todd. Todd was making threes anyway. Yeah, but 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 I, for for the time that he was released and and he signed with Washington, it made sense considering that you just signed Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, to to, to be the backup to Mitch, and um, but he's a five. You know, though. He can do, he's a five. He's not a four. Hardenstein he's a five. A five. But, he's like he's an eighty percent right. five. I'll say twenty percent four. So he's more of a five. I, I agree with you, but. This is where I this is where I feel that you know that the front office and the coaching staff have this this communication. And not to mention, and this is something that doesn't get mentioned enough. Remember that our front office is very novice at this this at this part of the of the of the game. You know, it's not like Leon Rose has a fucking uh, a, a, a track record of you know of leading NBA franchises to championships or anything like that. He's just an agent. And assume you know, and and for in most part, you know, an agent strictly for the CAA, and that's you know that's neither here nor there. But the reality is, is that um, I agree with you. Taj Gibson, three, you know, four or five years younger, um, would have been yeah, ideal. Hardenstein kind of fit the bill because when he came in. They were saying that he was more of a stretch five as opposed to just a traditional one um, because he did hit the three. He did. Let me ask you, not to lose that point. Why did we not see more of that out of him? Because that was the call when we got him from the Clippers last offseason. Why? Like, we saw a little glimpse of that even in game number one versus Memphis at Memphis. Like, oh, man, he's knocking down threes like that. Like, Brad Lowhouse, he's like, he's like a, a, a softball three-point shooter. Like, yo, we didn't see a right. lot of that. I thought we could have seen that. Like, why? Again, development, plan, execution of maximizing your players. Like, how do we know he can shoot? Because you could look at the app. You could, we know basketball. You could tell when a guy right. sets his feet, elbows tuck, the form, it looks is I would say it's perfectly damn near perfect coming from Hartenstein. Why is he not shooting more perimeter shots? To, i.e., back up, you know, make up for the uh, lack of perimeter shots not coming from this. I I honestly can't answer that question without you know speculation because because the fact of the matter is is that I agree with you. I did see that in like the first what four or five games of last season, and then it disappeared. It just right. The only time the only the only time they tease us, son. Yo, they tease us. The only time we saw that in that Memphis game, right? Like you're like you seen us, like yo. Remember we came on an episode like that night, like yo, we got something with yo. Memphis done. Remember we were seeing that at that post game. Yeah, Memphis done, and and it went away. And and the funny thing is, we never even brought that up. It kind of like went under the radar week to week during the regular season. I'm, I'm kind of mad at ourselves that we didn't even bring that up as we should. I think, you know what? To be honest with you, I think I brought it up once, but then I just, but, but, but then I, I didn't give it, I didn't give it much of a second thought because, um, you, you know, because we were winning, 
So, so, so it's like if we're winning and you're not hitting, you're not shooting your threes. It, it sometimes gets overlooked, but it's almost like, honestly, like maybe, and this is again speculation. I don't know if this is for sure. If Thibodeau probably told him that I need you to be more of a traditional five and get down low, and the only time I want you on the top of the key with the ball is to set a high screen at the top of the key and and and, and give a handoff to you know to, to, to you know whoever's um, taking the pick and cutting, um, you know to run a high pick and roll with either with Brunson or with Quickly. Um, that's the only time you ever saw Isaiah Hardenstein with the ball at the top of the key. You know, aside from that, it's, like I said, the first four or five games. You see, you, you see, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, defending centers you know, take two steps back to kind of cover the paint, and he'll just shoot you in the eye, and that would be the end of it. But then it stopped, and I don't know whether it's because you know he just, you know, start he, he just wasn't hitting the three consistently. I don't know if Thibodeau told him or any of the other coaches told him to stop doing that. But I did notice first four or five games he started shooting threes. He, he, he was making him at an okay rate. He had one bad game, and then it was just, then it was gone from his repertoire for the rest of for the rest of the season. Um, I think that that's something that he may need to bring back, especially considering that it's it's, a, it's another contract year. Um, if the Knicks are not looking to you know to keep him, um, you know, past this season, um, or hell, even past the trade deadline, that would be something that I that I would feature more, you know, just to get my trade value up. Right. You know what? I would do this, and this is my last point on the Knicks before we go into the rest of the week. I know we went a little bit over on the Knicks, and it was a great conversation. But let me say this. <sighs> I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it kind of makes sense. I would, If I'm the Knicks, they're not going to do this. If I'm the Knicks, uh, some of those three points or per, uh, per, perimeter shots of RJ, I would defer a few of them shits to Isaiah Hardenstein and Quentin Grimes. Those shots, and then we talked about that with Coach Chris. He said that, too. That was a great point he said about Quinn Grimes. We need to def- – or even uh, Angel. Uh, Angel said that as well. And uh, Bishop. Bishop said it's a shot for Bishop. Deferred threes or deferred perimeter shots, specifically R.J. Barrett, I would say any of those cuts, the deferments of those shots, I would give 80% of them to Grimes. 20 the heart. That's just me. And if that happened, if they're in the same lineup at the same time. I agree. I, and I wouldn't have a single problem with that. However, um, I don't know what kind of gun um, R.J. Barrett has to Tom Thibodeau's head where he where he kind of gives him the green light, but I would agree. Look, well, well, I, don't, I mean, he's a number three in the 2018 draft. That's a green light. I mean, he's a top three pick. Hey, look, I understand, I, I understand that, and, and that makes all the sense in the world. But the reality is, is that, look, if we're talking about, because we were just talking about homegrown talent, you know, to be cornerstones, you have another opportunity. You, you know, the Knicks definitely failed Obi Toppin. They still have a chance, especially since they signed them, they re-upped them for, you know, for all that money with R.J. Barrett. If they can get him to start playing to his strengths, which is driving the ball and, and, and breaking down defenses instead of just chucking up threes and, and having the green light to shoot whenever the hell he wants, he can have one of those banner years. It's not, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. The opportunity is there. R.J. Barrett well, yeah, can do that. Yeah, the opportunity is there, but, but like, like, like Donald has said, he's been in the, year, the league 
for about five years now. And what it's yeah. got to come. It has to be now. At what point, like, will we keep on saying that every offseason? So yeah, I mean, I I'm I don't know. I don't see it happening. I'm I'm only I'm only down for RJ for I'm willing to give RJ one more final year, um, even though he has you know four more in his contract. But um, look, it's not like his his contract is complete is completely untradeable, even with the new CBA rules taking into effect next year. Um, I would like to see him move on because I I just don't see his game improving. You, you know, any differently, even if he improves his shot, even if, 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 you know, he gets a little bit more efficient in terms of, you know, his shot selection and stuff, stuff like that. I just don't see it. I want him to, right, I, I, agree. I don't want, I, agree. I, I don't, I don't want it. I, you know, I don't want to see him trade or anything, but if that's going to, but, but if that just happens to be what the, you know, what the future holds for him, then so be it. Hey, let's, yeah, let's transition rest of the NBA because it's kind of funny because you brought this up. I think about a month ago for the free agency period. Um, and I told you at the time you were bringing up it as a rumor, and uh, I shot that shit down like I would with an AK. What is it? Let me get the gun. Let me, let me, let me get the gun. I shot that shit down when you brought it up. Oh, yeah, here. Here you go. Here you go. Shot that shit down. I started it down when you brought up Jalen Brown as a Nick, and I said, boss is never going to let him go. So recently, as as, as expected, right? five-year, 304, super max deal for Jalen Brown. Now, this, I can't unsee what I saw in that conference finals versus Miami. Uh, I mean, I think the Boston Celtics made the right decision. It was a trap decision. I like Jalen Brown as a player, but man, that that has got the left. He what was the last time you saw a player of his caliber, whether it's basketball or baseball, of his talent level just I would call it meltdown, but just really disappoint in a big stage at his prime of his career, uh, Jalen Brown. It makes sense that the Celtics need to keep him because where else are you gonna go? But man, that was a, I mean, even as a Knicks fan, Ab. Watching basketball have that was terrible to watch the way he collapsed versus Miami. When Jason Tatum had the ankle and they needed their Robin to ride and he felt miserable. And he still got rewarded with the super match because I don't think Boston had any leverage to go elsewhere to replace him. What do you think? Um, that's kind of it. They you 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 hit it on the head. The the Boston Celtics had nowhere to go. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have. You know, they weren't. Um, they weren't named as as a preferred destination um, by Damian Lillard. So that really just made made the decision for for Boston to be a lot more simpler than anything. Um, the reality is, is that you know where is Boston going to go? You know, they they traded Marcus Smart. They re-signed Kristaps Porzingis. So now you're going into you know going to next season with a you know with a three-headed monster of Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis, you know along with you know most of the, most of, the, of your of your last year's roster is still intact, and you're figuring that with the addition of Porzingis, that would give you that extra leverage, that extra weapon to kind of be you know much more for, you know much more potent in the Eastern Conference, 
but I still think that that, that market smart trading um, trade really hurts them. Um, and I still feel like they're taking a step back. But Boston had no other choice. Um, he was going to walk. There, you know, there was that Nick talk. There was that other teams really talking because, you, you know, Nick's talk is always there. It's, it's never going anywhere. Um, Boston, they did the right thing. The fact that they gave him $304 million, uh, I understand it. I understand the business. Good for Jalen Brown. Congratulations. Um, do I think that he deserves it? No, personally, but I'm not, it's not my money. It's, I'm not the owner. And, and therefore, um, I understand that, you know, in today's age of, of the NBA, you're getting paid on potential and you know, sometimes you get rewarded for what you do in the regular season and the playoffs are just a, a microcosm of what you can do. Um, of, of course, to the fan, what you do in the playoffs is the most important as opposed to what you do all season. So, look, um, congratulations, Jalen Brown. You're now a $300 million player. And Boston, I hope you know what you're doing because you might get stuck with that one, especially when, especially when you're talking about, you know, you got Tatum there. You're going to have Porzingis there for the foreseeable future. And you still have to compete with the, with the Milwaukee's, the Philadelphia's, and now the Knicks. Of, of, of the Eastern Conference and trying to be in Miami because Miami's still, you know, still there. <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure Cleveland, you know, with, with their additions, they're going to try to take a step up as well. I don't know, man. Uh, I wish I knew what the, you know, what the explanation was as, as opposed to, you know, he's our franchise guy. You know, we want to congratulate reward him. But, hey, that's what the going rate is for an all-star caliber player like him. Well, I think the explanation is kind of what you just said. You mentioned Milwaukee, you mentioned Knicks, you mentioned uh, uh, Cleveland. Boston's still a top three team that's capable to get to the NBA Finals. I think that's kind of where it starts. They have the age on their side with Tatum and Brown. Why it doesn't make sense to break up that court? That's their best duo since Mikhail and Bird, right? No, 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 no. I take that back. They're probably their best duo since um, well. Pierce, Garnett, and Ray Allen were more of a trio. But this, when we say duo, I'm a, I'm a, I'll probably go say, they're, I, I, no, they're probably better than um, Antoine Walker. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely. I, I'll say that. Definitely better than Antoine Walker. Than and, Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. Yeah, they're better. So we'll, we'll say they're probably the best duo since Bird and Mikhail. If you want to, well, Pierce is more, ah, Pierce was kind of an asshole. Yeah, he was a, he was a cop. Mm. Mikhail and Bird were more homegrown, like Tatum and Brown. So that's that, 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 that's what I'm saying. They're the best duo since homegrown duo since Bird and Mikhail. So I'll put it like that. Better than Antoine right. Walker and Paul Pierce. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's still even you know, Marcus Smart gone. There, I still a top three team in the East. Keep it going. At, at, you got to roll the dice, and this is you know that kind of money you got to roll the dice because in this league, if you try to Reset. It never really works out with teams who try to reset, try to say start over. They got age on the side. The guys are pretty young in their mid twenties, so it makes sense. They're a top three team, so you know, without Marcus Smart, they're still a top three. Um, can I ask you a question? Because you mentioned it earlier when we were talking Knicks. You said Harden and Lillard. Um, you know, I don't really follow the rumors, so if you want to put me on or educate me as far as what you were trying to say, as far as 
them going elsewhere outside of Philadelphia and Portland respectively. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, I guess, with those guys? Because honestly, I, I'm a kind of the guy that kind of will wait until it actually happens until then they're still with their respective teams. We talked about this last or two weeks ago. Or, yeah, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago with Damian right. Lillard. Uh, yeah. You know, Portland for life and all this other shit, you know, get to, you have the right to change your mind. So what are your thoughts on those two particular guys, I guess? You know, I mean, since the age of series, all the files. Well, well, the funny thing is, is that you know, um, we're two weeks, two two weeks have passed since we last spoke, and you notice that there's not have there hasn't been any traction in terms of James Harden being moved because I know he 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 prefers to go to the Los Angeles Clippers. And, of course, we know that Dame Lillard wants to go to the Miami Heat. There doesn't seem to be any kind of traction on either, on either one of those fronts because of, the, because of their current situation. Um, my prediction, James Harden will start with the Philadelphia 76ers, and Damian Lillard will not end up in the Miami Heat. I just don't see teams really, you know, working out, you know, putting out their best offers for these two players because – the only way you're going to be able to move them is if you get three or four teams involved. And I, don't, I just don't see a lot of teams willing to facilitate those things. Damian Lillard pigeonholed himself, like I said the last time we were here. He pigeonholed himself by, putting, by saying that he only wants to go to the Miami Heat. Um, if he opened that up, he'd be moved. Because at least more, more teams can, can come up with more different um, combinations of, of picks and players to do so. But because Miami's best, their best offer right now, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and two first-round picks, when Portland has gone on record saying they want like four and they want more young players, and Miami's not not really willing to you know to include a third or fourth team you know as far as we know. Now, I just don't see that can happening. I real quick? Can I interject real sure. quick? Now, I don't know the I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me. And I'm speaking out loud. I know this is not a rumor, Adam. I'm just speculating. They saw need, they saw fit, and we were just talking about it for the last ten minutes with Boston. If Boston found a way to get Damian Lillard to Boston, they went into it. That's what they need. You replace Marcus Smart with a Damian Lillard. And that, this is not a rumor. I'm just speculating. What makes sense? Go from the west to the east. Go to a team that needs something like that, a stop maker, especially when one of your your Batman and Robin guys go down. He's he's the that's, he's Dennis, he's basically a souped up version of Dennis Johnson when he left Seattle to go to the Celtics. Back right. The MVP. I, 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 definitely. That's that's what they need. They need him. Miami. He if, even if he said I want to go to Miami, he actually is more of a fit with Boston. If you were to ask, oh, they would win an NBA championship. I would. I would even watch the team. Nah, I said, no, they got it. They got it. <laughs> Let's just hope that doesn't happen. I hope they don't hear this show and they say, oh, man, that guy, uh, Nick Abaka Adams, who? Dame Lillard from Portland, the ball, uh, you know, whatever Bill Walton connects they can make. I've seen that trade before, with, you know, back in the day, you know, like Bill Walton leaving Portland. And right. Boston. Oh, my goodness. They will win the championship. There, nobody beat if they, Even if one of them gets hurt, that's it. It's over. <laughs> it's over. It, it, I don't know. I don't think after the three, after the three hundred four million dollar contract, unless Damian Lillard takes a severe pay cut, I mean, veteran minimum level, 
if SP really wants the championship, they will win it if that happens. He's a more of a fit in Boston than in Miami to me. Which is interesting because I actually try to try to see how it would work if Lillard were to go to any of the uh, of the existing Eastern Conference teams, including the Miami Heat. So we, if you think if you think about the top six, top five, six teams in the Eastern Conference, you're talking about Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, New York. Um, <clears throat> shit, I had uh, I, I had two other ones: Philadelphia and. Um, and maybe even Chicago. Let's just throw those names in, 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 in the ringer. And we'll even throw Brooklyn in there. If you take those seven teams and see where does Dane Miller really fit, number one is Boston. I was kind of curious how he would fit in yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, no, I was curious. He, he would fit there, too, if Harden was not there. If Harden was not there. But, you're not, but, yeah, you're, but that be, team would not be, be much be. better. It, that okay. team would not get the It'll be a little bit better, but it's not over the top better. It, it'll be a little bit better, but no. not over the top better. Like championship better. No. I mean, they probably right. get to the finals. Yeah. I don't know if they'll win it. Though. I mean, they could. No. no I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I think I'm with you. I think it's fitting better with Boston. That makes I, sense. Obviously. And, 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 then if you, and, and then if you put them in Miami, I agree with all with, 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 with all with all the speculation. I don't see Miami getting out of the first round with you know with, with Butler out of Bayou and Lillard. I just don't see it because what else do you have around them? It's tricky. And I mean, they're because they're one of the organizations they can get on a hot streak. They can slide the wave. They, they can. Players off the they can. They can't read, man. Like they'll find they find a guy off the street, little like a Billy Oil white man can jump off the street. And make them a play player. I mean, they're great. They're great at that type of thing. So I, I will never count them out. I think this past postseason, all starters and less, never count the Miami Heat because they'll find they'll really find dudes on the street and come play for us. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just they, they, you talk about development. They the best development team in the Heat. I'm not gonna go far as NBA because I think Denver is probably number one. You know what? That that might be a debate for another show. It's going to be those top two. It's those top two right there. Denver and Miami. I mean, no surprise they're in the finals. We have to include other teams like Utah and um and other. And nope, because, nope, not uh, them. I, I, nope. Remember, we remember, remember with Utah at the beginning of the season we were riding the wave and they just fucking dropped off the face of the earth. It ain't Utah. Huh? Yeah. It ain't Okay, well, I'm I, talking about I, player I, development. I, I have to say, OKC, maybe OKC. You know, like, OKC is actually not that bad. They're, they're in that top five with development. A lot of players you didn't hear of, didn't think you were going to make the league, and they were a playing team. And if it wasn't for an yeah. elbow to say, Gilgis Alexander's uh, an elbow to his face against Minnesota, they, maybe they had a chance against Minnesota. Man. That second player came out there, they went to uh, New Orleans and beat them. So um, I would think OKC is in the top five of development. They did, they did a great they job. They definitely are. And they're going to get better because Chet, Chet Holmgren never even played last year. It's going to be his, literally, technically his first rookie season coming out of uh, – uh, Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, I had another question. Uh, oh, go ahead. What's your thoughts? No, what's your thoughts? And I'll ask my question. Uh, uh, no, I was just going to mention that um, Chet Holgram, um, I, I'm, I'm actually very excited to
you know, he's one of those hidden, he's one of those gems of, 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 of like certain draft classes that, you know, he might get some tout, he gets the, but then he gets a lot of what ifs. But I think that he's, I think he's a real deal. I think that he's going to be, uh, you know, a force in this league. Um, so I'm very excited to see him get started um, whenever he does. All right, all right, cool. Now I have two last topics before we get off for you. Uh, we kind of talked about it two weeks ago. Uh, summer league, the successor. Um, you know, I love it. I'm a fan of it. The Knicks kind of, for the Knicks side of things, didn't necessarily have a lot invested in it because we didn't really have drafted. So on that front, I wasn't happy or excited as, you know, this year because, you know, Knicks didn't have a draft pick. And, you know, the Knicks really, it kind of stuck with the But your thoughts on Summer League as, from the NBA as a whole. And question number two, I'm going back to this division. I really believe that we have got the NBA, I would say, NBA has got to get rid of these three divisions in these conferences. I, I never liked it when they went to this format. I think the NBA needs – this is 21st century basketball. Ad. The divisions – and you've heard me say this over the years. I, I, I really think this is a good time. Maybe next season or whatever, collective bargaining agreement, whatever. Revisit the pooling of these teams. I'm not saying dual divisions. I say be standalone basketball clubs and then have a big 16-team tournament, whether you're in the West or the East, top 16 – Six, top 16 teams and just do your thing, man. I don't care about – I'm, I'm your ass. I am done with divisions. I don't care about divisions. Why – if you're going to do divisions, you should do divisions with two divisions in each conference so you know who clearly told the test of time in 82 games. I think three divisions doesn't make sense because look at the Southeast past season where every team pretty much stuck in the regular season. That's why it was kind of a surprise to everybody why Miami got on the hot streak. Let me ask you a question. You know, if you can answer those questions, if you don't mind, and then we can get final thoughts after that. Summer league, the success, yay or nay for you, Mr. Nikabaka Avenue, and also, is it is it, are we at that time where the NBA needs to get rid of the Well, um, to answer the first question about the summer league, um, I still like it. Um, obviously, you know. It, there wasn't a lot. It wasn't a huge Nickelbacker following because of the fact that you know, like you said, we didn't have a draft pick. We didn't have any like some young players to you know to really evaluate and and just kind of get an idea of who they were. Um, and it wasn't. It didn't seem like there was a lot of investment um, by the team either. It wasn't like you know, yeah, Dwayne Washington, Trevor Keels, guys like that. You know, it was nice to see them get some burned, but really only to see them get waved. You know, as early as last week, it's kind of like, okay, well, it is what it is. But I think the summer league, it needs to get bigger. I, I feel like it needs to be, uh, um, it needs to get bigger, and, and, and there needs to be a little bit more emphasis on, um, on associating them with the G League more, and and, and, and having that, um, you know, placement. So that way, that minor league system is, or the, the developmental system is, yeah. is is more fortified. I think that that's what what it needs, because I just right now the way the G League is structured in terms of you know how guys can you know how guys can get drafted or 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 get um, or can be signed or things like that. I don't like it as it currently constructed. I like to see that it be more development, somewhat somewhat similar to how baseball is, 
Um, not exactly like baseball, but something along those lines. And I think that that would actually be more beneficial, you know, because that that way you can actually make the, the game of basketball and the NBA a year-round thing. So for the summer league, I like it. It's a lot of fun. It gives you something to do, um, especially since the Yankees have, had, have been having the horrible time that they've been having. It was, it was a nice – it was a breath of fresh air to see basketball. But I think that there needs to be a little bit more emphasis uh, on those things. Um, and in terms of – what was the second question? Um, um, I apologize. Uh, I, I, I have, I've been saying it probably for years now. But I, why three divisions in each conference? Because you could see a division where they have a team at 500 or so sub-500 damn near win the division. I'm at a point, get rid of the division to have a straight 16-team league. We talked about this in the years in the past. But why not do that now? Why it be, Why would not the NBA evolve to 21st century basketball and logic? The world, the world is globalized now, Ab. We might get to a point we might see pro teams in the future in 10, 15 years in different countries. So why do divisions? Right. I don't like the three division deal. I, 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 I've never been a fan of that because three division champions, the top to take, take over the. Why not? I, I'm, I, I'm not against doing the two divisions, like you were stating, but I but I'd be okay with a four division. Why? Because at least the division champion can uh, can, uh, can, uh, can be can take up the four the top four spots. I think that would be fair. Um, you win your division, you get home you court advantage. You know, you know what we, you know what I think they, they could. Now, I don't know if they would do this. What would make, I would say it would make sense, but would be interesting. After each season, based on your record or whatever, reshuffle the teams and put them in different pools like they do in soccer. So the Knicks might be in the same pool with the Utah Jazz or something. Based on your record, based on um, seeding or whatever from the previous season, I wouldn't mind that. I want to see something different. And I understand that. I think think the NBA would be against that. I think they would. I think think, they but it would be against that, that because sport, I don't know if it's growing though, man. I don't know if the league is growing like they think you say. That's the problem. See the problem. You see the, the the problem with your with with your method and theory is that if you reshuffle every year, you're basically putting all the marquee games on one pool, and then fans will not be flocking as you know as devotedly, because remember we we don't live in, in like in the nineties like we used to where. Where you know where, where fans would be fans of the team and not necessarily of certain player. You know today's young fan is following the player. So if that player right, plays right. for the, for for a marquee team, say like the Los Angeles Lakers or the Golden State Warriors or something like that, and then they were constantly being looped in, you know, be put, looped into the same pool of, of teams. And, and do the pool play like you were saying, which is not a bad idea. But then you're, but then you're, 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 you're making advertisers go, you know, to, to, to you know, to, to sell their advertisements on those games, and then the other games underneath it just don't matter as much. You know, it's not as heavily. I don't, know um, about that. You know, I, I don't think that's going to be effective because my, my whole point was, you can still advertise Los Angeles versus Boston advertise Miami versus whoever, like 
Chicago, New York, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's still not going to go away. I have, my whole point is the three divisions, to me, is not worth it. I think either shrink the divisions, go back to the old adage, or I'm all just wiping them away together and just do basketball clubs. Let the Knicks be its own standalone basketball club. But the Knicks, the NBA is trying to hold on to this all well. The Knicks and Celtics have been playing since 1946 adage. I don't think that kid. I don't think, like your point, Gen Z fans and the younger people that are going to follow when they grow up, they don't care that the Knicks and the Celtics have been playing since 1946. Maybe the baby boomers and the Gen Xers and even me and you may, we might care about that. I don't, like you said, they follow players. Like, understand what these, it's about catering to fans at the end of the day. I don't think they care. I don't, I really don't, they, they care about the business. I'm not, and I'm at that point. I, well, shit, I don't think you should care. I, uh, you know what? I'm a, so, so, so here's the proposition that I would say. Remember, we have that, that, that you know, that in that midseason tournament now. So, so, so that, so I think that's kind of where, you know, uh, what you were just stating about the pool play. I think we're we're heading in that direction. I don't know like, how how much longer. Right. I think maybe in five five or six years. I think we're heading in that direction anyway. But here's an idea. We keep the divisions. But you don't emphasize division play. So instead of playing within your own division, the same team four that times. No, think about the it. Whole point is if you take it away. The mo- go ahead, go ahead. Just think about it because you're playing within your division four times. You're playing within the, uh, within the conference three to four times. But then you're playing the other conference only twice. If you if you take away one just one of those division games, that's, that's an additional four games. You can have more games outside of a conference, and then you can have more NBA Finals pre, um, uh, previews, and, and and you know there will be more you know interconferential um, um, play um, gameplay. So say the Knicks would probably play the Lakers three times as opposed to two. Um, and that could also play a factor in who gets home field event, home court advantage in the NBA Finals should they meet. Um, besides, I think that's gonna, I think that's where it's going to be heading anyway. Considering that you know the announcement of the new midseason tournament, that you're going to be seeing certain you know certain teams that don't usually play each other that often. They probably play each other once or twice a year. You're going to see them play play each other a little bit more now because of that in-season tournament because everybody's getting looped in into the different pools again. And, you know, depending on their record, that's how they're, you know. I just I like to know what that tournament is going to signify, what they're going to do, and how does it coincide with the NBA playoffs already, you know, already there. Because if, if like, the in-season, mid-season tournament winner gets, like, some preferred seeding in the NBA playoffs, That'd be nice because you know, despite what you know, whatever situation they you know intend to happen, whether they fall off the face of the planet, they still get in. I don't know. It. I think the, the league oh, is well, already heading that direction as it is. We'll find out, man. Because in season tournament is definitely 21st century. I am for that progression of the league. But uh, all my final thoughts. I'll, I'll say my final thoughts. Great discussion. We talked about a lot. We talked about the Fred Katz tweet with the Knicks and their lack of publicity still and why Knicks fans are delusional and why Draymond Green said that. And it goes back to why I questioned about development and the front office. Uh, 
Knickerbocker have and I, we, we, we're both in agreement that, you know, not enough, you know, it's not enough transparency, but it's not the end of the world, but there's, you know, to pick, pick and choose of which ones we want more, you know, rest of the league with Jalen Brown, the division talk, summer league success. Great episode, Ab. Great, great talk with you, man. And um, final great thoughts, talk. man, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think still think from the next side of things, we're still a top three. Uh, I like our discussion of what we want in the backup prototype board behind Julius Randle, and then the rest of the league. You know, I think you know there is something with um, you know the development of OKC, Denver, Miami, and um, you know there's other topics that I had written on down on the paper. I did not even get to, but I do think you know I would love to see a lottery of pooling teams every so often. He said, I I'm like I'm a guy like forget this, and that's old. School. That's 20th century basketball. We're in the 20th century. But outside of that, Nickelbacker Avenue, uh, good luck to your Yankees versus the Mets. And then uh, outside of that, Congress, ladies and gentlemen, we blew in your final thoughts and we close the show. It's funny how you mention it's my Yankees. Like, you don't believe the pinstripes yourself, but it is yeah, what it yeah, is. They're my That's first team. They're my first team. I'd be talking. I'd be talking. That's my first team. Yankees are my first team. They like, like that's the first team I ever watched in life. Yankees, Yankees. But no, but it's it, it, it's fine, it's fine. I'll, I'll I'll take ownership, and you know, I'll probably do a better better job than Hal Steinbrenner any day of the week. But hey, um, on to my final thoughts. This was a, a a great episode. It's it's nice to catch up, and you know, um, we didn't really talk about the Evan Fournier situation because I think that um, the Twitterverse already kind of covered it as much as as much as possible, and I don't really want to spend too much time on it other than fuck you. Um, you're getting paid $18 million and you should shut your yap. Um, but anyway, um, the Knicks um, front office, you know, wait till, wait till February to decide whether or not, you know, you believe in this front office anymore. Give them till February. If, if by then, there hasn't been enough moves to move the needle here in terms of making this team a contender. Then James Dolan has a serious, serious decision to make in terms of re-upping Tom Thibodeau, Leon Rose, William Wesley, and everybody underneath them. This, um, and you could, you could take that to the bank. Um, the rest of the league, congratulations, Jalen Brown on $304 million. Um, not saying that you deserve it. Not saying that you don't deserve it. I'm just saying congratulations. That's a lot of freaking money, and you know, it's great. It's great to see that you know that that, that new CBA contract and, and the TV deals are now starting to pay off as, as much as they do. Um, how long till after he signs that contract will he request his his um his, his trade out of Boston? Um, because yeah, they're top three team in the East right now, as currently constructed. Um, it would be nice to, to you know, to, to, to see some traction in James Harden and Dane Lillard's uh, situation. But like I said, Lillard's not going to the Heat. I don't see Harden moving anytime soon. I don't, I don't see, I don't see anybody really make moving the moving heaven and earth to get these guys to wherever they want to go. So until then, be patient, Nick fans. Enjoy your summer. Enjoy, you know. All the all the great content on the, on the Bleed Blue show. I'm pretty sure that the rink will be covering the Rangers again. Um, I, I know you and Susie probably taking care of the, of the 
on the dugout. And when is the next Bleed Blue Big Brown Table talk? Steve. Next Thursday will be the football and upcoming Tuesday for the hockey. So look out for those. BleedBlueShow.com is the website. You can listen to our audio archives. Um, we're on Google Podcasts. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Blog Talk Radio. Podcast One. We're on a bunch of things. So look out for us. And um, I, Steve, I just confirmed the director. Um, Keith is on board whenever he's ready. Whenever you're ready to talk orange and the blues. I, I let me get with you off air on that because I got to make sure we can bring, bring up the video that we can discuss. So sure. it sounds like a plan, but let, I'll get with you in a couple of days. And, I'll get and then you also got to get back to me about doing the spotlights again because um, I oh, yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that off. I, I, right, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely got to talk about that because I also want to do a spotlight where I where. I don't know. I do a spotlight on somebody. Maybe we'll just do it on you because we haven't because we haven't heard we haven't had an unfiltered sure. from you in a while, and we need that. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I've been I've been I've been out and out like crazy in 2023, so I haven't really had anything on the outlet. I've been kind of busy, <laughs> like roaming, like going place to place. So I'm not really outraged sitting down thinking and being outraged. So that's where the unusual. How is the people? <laughs> How was the visa, by the way? Cause... It was crazy. Great, man. Yeah, wow. All right. definitely, um, it's definitely something that we check out if you haven't get the chance. And, uh, man, I mean, it's been crazy 2023 when it comes to that stuff. Man. So, uh, but we'll talk about all that stuff. And uh, we'll, try, we'll put something together before the football season. So, you know, let's, let's knock out some Absolutely. level podcasts. And then we'll break down the R's and the blues. Maybe let me let me get back to you on that and see if we can bring up a video so we can discuss it in a week. And let's just target for that and then I'll let you know. We'll, we'll definitely definitely look into that, bro. Um but until then, this is Nickelback Ab. You've just listened to Steve Azul. You can follow us anywhere on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm also on threads. Um, give us a shout. Give us a follow. Uh, shout out to Fortune 500. Um, he, he's already he's already working on on a new theme show for a theme song for us. Um, and um, um, hopefully we'll be ready by by opening tip off night. Um, you know for the Knicks. But until then, Sangrazu all day, every day, 24/7, 365. You want if you if you disagree with us, come find us. Have out. Have a good night, everybody. A finger to the rest, here we go for the neck. It's like a finger to the rest, here we go for the neck. It's like a finger to the rest, here we go for the neck. It's like Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Blee blue, blee blue, blee blue, blee blue, blee blue, blee blue, blee blue.